Welcome to the Amish Furniture Podcast, Episode 4. Welcome to those who have been tuning in and to any first-time listeners out there. We're so glad to have you with us. The topic of our podcast today is why I started selling Amish furniture online with Dutch Crafters founder and CEO, Jim Miller. And we are so excited to speak with Jim about his journey with Dutch Crafters over the last 17 years. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different than some of our previous episodes um, since we have uh, our CEO, Jim Miller, here with us today. We're actually going to be hearing more about his entrepreneurial journey, how he started the business, what it's been like to work with Amish wood shops, um, the changing landscape of selling Amish furniture online, as well as his journey and how in a lot of ways it's come full circle as he opens a warehouse and outlet store in Indiana, which is the area where he grew up. I'm Beth Rice, and I started working at Dutch Crafters back in August of 2015. And I am Milka Rivera, your other host of the Amish Furniture Podcast, and I started working for Dutch Crafters in June of 2016. But Dutch Crafters started long before we came on board, and today we are going back to the beginning and are pleased to be joined by Dutch Crafters founder and CEO Jim Miller for this episode, Why I Started Selling Amish Furniture. Welcome to the podcast, Jim. Well, it's great to be here uh, with you, Beth and Milka. I'm really looking forward to this. I've enjoyed listening to the uh, the earlier episodes of the podcast and can't wait to be a part of it. Thanks for inviting me. Great to have you here. Thanks for joining us, Jim. You founded Dutch Crafters back in 2003, uh, but we want to go back before that. Um, could you give us you know, some details of what led you up to that moment? I mean, it's it's important for me to say that I grew up in a Mennonite community in Southern Michigan, and I have Amish and Mennonite ancestors on both sides of my family. You know, knowing the Amish and being part of the Amish communities, you know, that sort of that sort of flows in my blood. But I didn't in 2003. We really weren't intending actually to start an Amish furniture business. Uh, I hooked up with a friend from uh, that I had met in in graduate school. And we wanted to start an e-commerce business. Uh, we had a sales model in mind, but weren't exactly sure what we were going to sell. So the products actually came you know, a little after uh, we started the business. We really started with the model, and, and that's, that's how we got going. What drew you towards focusing to e-commerce or, or you know, thinking of you know, conducting an online business? By the time we decided to launch a business in 2003, we were really in what would have been called the second wave of internet retail. Uh, at the time, I had personally made very few purchases on, on the internet myself. Uh, e-commerce was still, I think, probably less than 1% of all retail purchases. So um, the opportunities were clear, but the rules were still unwritten. So it was a very exciting time to be in in, uh, in in launching an e-commerce business. Having said that, I should also say that that again things were very untested, so we didn't know you know what the results would be. Uh, we happened to be in the right place at the right time, and over the course of say 2003, when we started the business to 2010 or so, e-commerce grew by leaps and bounds, uh, and so we we were very lucky in that regard. I don't know if I would use the word exciting for that 
I might, I think I would, you know, be afraid of, you know, trying something like that. But going back to something that you had, you talked about a little bit ago, and that was that you, you know, first you had the model, you didn't exactly know what you were going to sell. Can you kind of tell us about what led you to Amish Furniture or kind of some of the things that you tried out before you got to Amish Furniture? So in those early days, we really tried a whole lot of, of different kinds of products. And one of the products uh, that came to us as an idea really came from a friend of mine uh, who owned a landscape company here in Sarasota. And he had these Amish-made uh, outdoor lighthouses. And he said, hey, look, I sell a few of these, but maybe you'd have better luck with them. He gave me the name of a vendor and uh, that was Amos Kaufman, who lived in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, an Amish man there who made those lighthouses. So I called Amos, and he, he seemed willing to try uh, to uh, work with us and let us, let us try to sell those lighthouses. And we did, and we started, we, we, we listed them on our, our website, and we started selling them. And so that represented kind of a breakthrough for us. From there, we went up to uh, Pennsylvania uh, later in the, in the uh, summer of, of 2003, got to know Amos, took some pictures of his products, those lighthouses, and we asked him, hey, Amos, uh, these are working for us. Do you have other recommendations on other products we might like to try? Uh, he introduced us to friends and neighbors. One thing led to another, so we started selling uh, wishing wells and goat wagons and kind of got into the Amish crafts and and outdoor decor, and that really was our first sort of foray into into uh, into the Amish made products. Are we still working with Amos to this day? So yes, we're still working with Amos uh, today. Uh, we sell, we continue to sell those Amish made outdoor lighthouses. I think both a wooden and, and a Hollywood version, and uh, we've had a good long run with him. When uh, when we were in those early days uh, looking for products to sell, uh, my wife Lindsay and I often literally drove through the cornfields of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, looking for opportunities. And uh, so Amos, for example, would introduce us to someone else and we'd start selling goat wagons from Ike. And he would introduce us to someone else. And that's kind of how it worked. Uh, we got a lot of rejections in those early days. Uh, not every, as I said earlier, the internet was, was, was new. E-commerce was just a brand new model, very untested. There were a lot of folks that thought, you know, we're, we're used to more traditional models and uh, thought we might just, frankly, probably be a little bit of a waste of their time. So we got a lot of rejections in those early days looking for products. But... I would say um, we were persistent, and uh, with with my name being Miller and a common background and heritage, uh, we did make some inroads and, and built uh, success. You know, sort of one vendor at a time. We you started with some beautiful products, um, Jim. This is where, of course, I throw in um, blogs from Dutch Crafter site in case anyone would like information on them. Um, we actually just recently did a blog on um, uses for wagons. Uh, wheelbarrows and carts. And we still have such a, a lovely selection of Amish made crafts and um, outdoor decor. 
So you started with those products, the lighthouses too. We've got some great blogs on lighthouses and, and a beautiful selection of them in, in the wooden poly, as you mentioned. Um, but then you made a leap somewhere along the line there while you were meeting all these vendors, some saying no, some, some joining, you made a leap to, to furniture. Can you tell us about that leap? Uh, on one of our trips in late 2003, my wife, Lindsay, and I were, were there um, looking around for, for more products to sell. And she kept seeing these um, Amish indoor furniture uh, vendors. And we would go into some of the shops and we'd take a look at the fine furniture, the tables and the chairs and hutches and beds. And she was really, really impressed at the, at the really fine quality, the high quality of craftsmanship the beauty of the products. It was the kind of thing that she said she would want in her own house. And, and she wondered why, you know, if, if we might be interested in taking a shot at the indoor furniture business as well. And, you know, I was very opportunistic, but I was also as realistic as I could be. And, and my first response was that's never going to work. People, people want to see that high end furniture. They want to see it firsthand. They want to feel it and touch it. Besides, how are you going to handle the finishing, the quality control? It's not an easy thing to do to ship uh, a dining room set from Lancaster, Pennsylvania out to, you know, wherever across the country. I, I have to say that I saw a lot of reasons why the idea wouldn't work. And, uh, but she was pretty persistent. And so we launched Dutch Crafters later on that month uh, and gave it a try. That was part of our sort of our mojo. We were, we were scrappy and looking for opportunities. Uh, and and uh, Lindsay really got behind that and saw something that I did not. Uh, in December of, of 2003, we had our first sale of Amish-made indoor furniture. The uh, customer was June Blauvelt. I still remember her name. And the sale was for $3,500. She bought a dining room table and chairs. We were ecstatic. I mean, that was a breakthrough. Uh, that represented for us uh, our, our largest single sale of the entire year, and it happened just at the end of, of 2003. We, we did half a million dollars in revenues in Amish-made furniture that following year, and it just grew from there. And, and I was never happier to be wrong. And Lindsay actually reminds me of that from time to time, <laughs> you know, that, that this was a time where uh, she was right. And uh, I was wrong, and I accept that, and I'm glad for it today. I have to just poke at that part of the story just a tiny bit more. I mean, uh, working for Dutch Crafters all these years, and if there had been more hesitation, then what if Dutch Crafters had not come to be? I, I, I have to ask, because you mentioned that within the month, by the end of the month, you had agreed. So had Lindsay approached you several times? Did you say no 10 times within that month? Did you say, I'll think about it for a month and tell you what, can we get just a tiny bit more of, you know, what made you go ahead and say, okay, yes, let's go forward? You know, Beth, you, you, it's a great question. I, I have a little amnesia here. You probably could ask Lindsay. <laughs> and get a little, <laughs> little different angle on this story. I do, I would say that one of Lindsay's gifts is a gift of persistence. And to be fair, I mean, she and I have been partners in this venture. Uh, I'm CEO and, and lead the company, but, but her and, and, and Meow, who is the partner from uh, graduate school, uh, have been very, very important in, in the establishment of our, our success together. 
Yes. And so uh, she really does get credit for for uh, for getting getting us into the the furniture business. When you see a piece of Amish made furniture, as we all know, you can completely tell the difference. You, when you're looking at a piece of solid wood furniture that's crafted in a, in a wood shop from something you'd find in a big box store. And um, at that time that you were all thinking of, you know, taking this on, where did people, you know, get their Amish furniture from, if not just traveling through Amish country? I mean, where was it available or how did they bring it home? Well, that that's a it's a, it's a great question, and again, in that context, not only were we new at the game in terms of e-commerce, but uh, we didn't have a whole lot of competitors. There were maybe a handful that were that were together with us, pioneers in really bringing Amish-made furniture to the internet. So, uh, so prior to that, you know, where would you get Amish furniture? It often meant traveling actually to Amish country, to Lancaster, uh, Pennsylvania, or Holmes County, Ohio, or Shipshawana, Indiana, uh, or have or being close enough uh, to a store, a physical brick and mortar store that might sell some of those those products. So. We've done a couple of things by sort of bringing this uh, to the internet. One, it's opened up a huge array of possibilities in terms of styles. So certainly we offer the traditional styles today, but many of our builders have expanded to all kinds of other more contemporary versions of their furniture and, and wood types and finish. Uh, so lots and lots of literally thousands and tens of thousands of possibilities uh, with customization, personalization. The other part uh, that happened was that we expanded that market to all parts of the United States. That was good for customers and that was good for our vendors as well. Now you can go online and find with us or our competitors all kinds of options in terms of Amish made furniture. I'm really proud that we were part of that. Yes, for sure. So where were you taking these um, phone calls and online orders during those early days? It's a funny thing because we really started in our living room. We today have a lot of laughs about how our kids used to, you know, have to sort of live alongside the business in that small house that we were in. You know, when customers like uh, June Blavelt that I mentioned earlier called in, we, we answered the phone right out of our living room. You were talking to us about, you know, jumping into the indoor furniture, that gorgeous solid wood furniture. Initially, you spoke about getting some no's from and rejections from the different woodworkers. As this began to expand, how were you received? How, you know, it sounds like it spread word of mouth. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that was like? Um, reactions from new vendors and taking on new vendors, which I believe now we have roughly 150 plus we quickly, it only took us a couple of years before we started expanding our sort of vendor market uh, to Ohio as well. So um, in 2005 and 2006, we really began to expand the number of products that we had, 5,000, 7,000, 10,000. And, um, and a couple of years later, after we had really begun to form some relationships in Ohio, uh, we actually uh, began uh, making some inroads into Indiana, which ironically is where I, my family is from. Uh, so today we source mostly from Indiana, about 50 to uh, 60% of our product 
comes from Indiana with the Ohio and Pennsylvania communities producing the remaining part of that. So in two, by 2010, we were selling from all three states, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and, and Indiana. One of the turning points, I think, for me, and particularly in our relationships with some of the, of the, of the woodworkers that we have worked with over the years, was during the Great Recession. And that was a period of time in which a lot of uh, brick and mortar stores throughout the United States were having a really, really rough time. And many of them closed and business began to dry up and it was prolonged. You know, I remember getting some calls probably in the, you know, around 2010, 2011 from some of the of the uh, vendors who we were working with, who some of them a few years earlier had had been you know a little slow to come on board and they they called me during those years and thanked me for our continued uh steady stream of orders that were coming in throughout those very difficult years that stream meant a lot to them it was not only opening up new markets but it kept them busy uh, many of them during times where where other parts of their other customers that that they had in the brick and mortar world were were not as busy so that was a i think a real turning point for us so you know you mentioned when you first started in 2003 selling online there was like maybe a handful of other companies you know trying to sell Amish furniture online and you all ran across it. I mean, you probably knew that the Amish made furniture already because you grew up in that culture. But um, how were the Amish marketing their furniture to other places? Yeah, it's a good question. And and the quick answer that, that I'd like to give you, it's a, it's a sort of gross overgeneralization. But the, the quick answer is they weren't. The, the traditions within Amish, sort of the Amish furniture cottage industry uh, are that the Amish do a fantastic job at making furniture and a less fan- than fantastic job at marketing it. So the, the typical model before we came along was that physical retail stores would come to uh, some of the trade shows or, or find uh, some of the of the wood shops that we work with and buy from them and then go to their their take that furniture back to their local communities and sell it so um, I think one of the things that we and again our some of our competitors did uh, was to really open up the whole question of marketing in a new way for these Amish uh, uh, furniture makers so now, we're, we were really, although we're retailers, we really became the marketing partners in many ways, in many ways for, for so many of these, these very small wood shops. This kind of goes back to Amish, you know, Anabaptist culture. You know, the, the idea here is, is, that, is, is that it's important to be humble. So humility is really important in, in traditional Amish and Mennonite cultures. And we don't do a great job. I say we because I'm a part of that, but typically we don't haven't done a great job at you know on the marketing end of our of, of businesses. Uh, uh, so I mean, I think that cultural element was was present in so many of these Amish communities. 
Jim, you talked about how the playing field looked in the early days. Now, Amish furniture has expanded with their styles. You can get contemporary style Amish furniture now, industrial style. What does the competition look like today for Dutch crafters? Uh, glad you asked. Great question. Uh, say, first of all, we operate in a very competitive field. We have a lot of competitors who do a fantastic job in uh, both selling and servicing the products that they sell. Uh, Dutch Crafters has evolved over the last couple of years so that we increasingly are not only competing against sort of those direct, what I call direct competitors who are selling Amish-made furniture on an e-commerce platform, but we also increasingly compete with high-end furniture that isn't necessarily Amish-made. So uh, one of the things we're really proud of is that Newsweek magazine just uh, named us as one of the top online stores of 2021. And that includes about 50 uh, furniture uh, retailers. Uh, So uh, we're in a really, really respectable company uh, within that, that space. And that increasingly helps to define you know, sort of who we're up against, if I can use that term. I would also say that it's important to know that we uh, increasingly don't think of ourselves only as an internet retailer. So, so we also have a store in Sarasota, uh, Florida, and uh, we're getting ready to launch a new uh, outlet uh, retail store in LaGrange, Indiana, and have plans to continue to expand our store locations in other parts of the United States uh, beginning next year in 2021. Can I also say, I mean, you were talking earlier about sort of how e-commerce has changed over the years. And I would simply say that it also has gotten uh, to be in many ways more complicated and, and there are more barriers to entry than there maybe once were. Frankly, some of the early websites that we built were were ugly (laughs) and they weren't very user friendly. And still people found us and bought the furniture. Uh, Today, um, the expectations that come from the consumer side are much, much higher. So does the website have online chat? Do I get free or reduced or standardized shipping? What about social media? Are there YouTube videos? Is there a blog that I can get my answers to? Is there a helpline? Uh, you know, so a lot more goes into uh, e-commerce today than what, what was the case when we started. Who do you feel like Amish furniture is for? Like who are the types of people or who should be searching for Amish furniture? Our customers typically are looking for something uh, very specific and very special uh, that they want for their space, whether it's dining furniture or bedroom furniture. They usually come with a, with a pretty clear idea of, of style in mind, or at least a range of styles that they like to consider. Often finish is important to them. Customization sometimes is a, is a big factor. There are also several things that they value that are increasingly essential to them uh, in their purchasing experience. And that sometimes um, is even more important than the product. They love that it's uh, American made. Uh, That's important to many customers. Increasingly, uh, sustainability, ecological sustainability is important. 
So we've taken a number of steps to make commitments uh, with respect to uh, being green. Our customers also value um, a high, high level of service. And so we've made investments in uh, staff and delivery experience that also are part of that. Uh, So it goes beyond products in many ways. Uh, Those are the kind of customers that we want to continue to seek out uh, and and who who increasingly come to us uh, looking to meet their furniture needs. So were there ever any moments in the company's history? I mean, have there been moments, you know, where you've just felt like this is too hard and, you know, we want to give up? Um, I think that most uh, entrepreneurs have those moments of doubt. And they often come at the end of a long day when the challenges stack up on top of each other, at the end of a long month, at the end of a long quarter, when the money in the bank is is pretty thin and um, you just don't quite you know, have the confidence that things are going to turn out the way you want them to. The other side of that coin is that is that entrepreneurs are notorious for waking up the next day and saying, I can't wait to get to solve these problems. I can't wait to get going. It's going to be okay. And you have to go out in some cases and rally the troops, rally yourself, you know, give some pep talks and see things with fresh eyes. So, yes, there have been, I would say, moments of doubt. But um, they've always been overcome by this sort of eternal optimism that characterizes so many entrepreneurs. And, and, and I would say is, is uh, you know, is one of the things that, 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 keeps me, that keeps me going. I always believe in, the, in, in our potential uh, to overcome the challenges and the obstacles. Increasingly, that's not just about me. It's about the people like you all who work for, you know, our company. And uh, I really believe in the vision uh, that we have and our ability to achieve it. Well, that seems like a good time to mention that um, we were recently selected as a best place to work um, by, I believe it was the Herald Tribune. Was that who it was? Yeah, Sarasota Herald Tribune uh, uh, named 25 companies in our area. And in many of those companies, very respectable. We happen to be one of them. So that optimism of yours is definitely working and is contagious. (laughs) I think during especially this time, too, because, of course, you know, if you've listened to the podcast before, we are all recording this from, you know, our homes um, because we're not in the office. Um, How has COVID affected the business? You probably get a little different answer depending upon who you ask in the company. From my point of view, we had a lot of big question marks very, very early on as, as, as the pandemic began to set in. We didn't know what to expect. We were super lucky in that as customers continued to spend time at home, maybe they eventually got a little bored and wanted to, wanted to shop but couldn't go to the mall. They, they, they got on their computers and we've seen the industry as a whole, e-commerce industry as a whole, really get a lift in this pandemic environment, furniture uh, retailers included. There are some other dimensions of this that that have have given me more a little more heartburn. One of them uh, is that supply chains have been have been disrupted. So 
you know, with some of our select uh, materials, let's say cedar wood, for example, or some of our poly uh, colors that we use in popular outdoor furniture products, uh, th those have, have uh, been very, very hard to come by. And so wood shops are uh, struggling to both keep up with high demand and also to get the materials that they need. So we've really had to navigate some of those challenges as well. There's another dimension uh, that I think about in, in relation to the pandemic, and that is sort of the human element here. We were able to actually adapt to the whole work from home environment very, very quickly. So we quickly closed down the store and, and really and shifted to a complete work from home environment, I think probably on the, on the inside of two weeks. I was really proud of, of the way we did that. And I think all of our employees really were grateful that we placed uh, such a high premium on their on their safety and well-being. I think the part of it that I, I the other part that I probably worry about a little bit is, uh, you know, after nine or 10 months of this work from home, you know, context, uh, I, I, I believe that there are parts of our culture that have begun to erode. And we have a really strong culture and, and put a lot of, as you all know, into um, employee engagement. Uh, that's super important to me. So, um, you know, how long can we sustain this and in what ways? How much does our culture erode during that period of time? That's, that's one of the things that, you know, that I worry about, sort of that drip effect. But all in all, I would say we have weathered uh, this pandemic um, very, very well. And uh, I am so grateful for both uh, the revenues that have come in, the partnership of our vendors in, in trying to keep up with supply uh, chains, and then, and then also and especially the uh, commitment and engagement of, of, our, of our terrific employees. So, Jim, we're sharing moments and challenges throughout the years. Um, Dutch Crafters is your breakout company for JMX brands. The recognition in Newsweek is one that comes on top of several other recognitions over your body of work over the years. You um, have grown to 50 employees. Um, you remember your first customer and what you sold. You offer over 15,000 products online. Dutch Crafters is the largest online retailer of Amish furniture. You have the store, a warehouse expansion, an outlet store. Um, over the 17 years that you've been building Dutch Crafters, is there a moment or, or action or, or story that you're proudest of, something that you're, you feel the most proud to share with us today? There's so many uh, moments come to mind. It's, it's hard to pick one thing. I, I think I would highlight maybe two, though. And, and one is, uh, on a personal level, I'm really proud of being a part of, of this of this movement that has helped to sustain um, the the Amish communities uh, that build our products and to open up new um, markets for them and to and, and for the business that we've given them and the jobs that we've created in those communities. So that piece I'm, I'm really proud of on a, on a number of fronts, but it's a personal one for me because I've, of course, come from uh, those communities and that's a part of my heritage. The other thing, though, that perhaps even trumps that just a little bit is the 
is is the pride that I that I have in watching our so many of our employees uh, grow and learn and develop and engage in a way that makes us a part of their story. You know, some of our employees kind of tease me and, you know, f- gently, of course, from time to time. But, you know, I, I, I sometimes think that some of our employees sort of see me as dad. And, uh, and you know, that feels good to me, actually, because I, I feel so much pride in, in their own individual achievements and uh, seeing, uh, seeing us come together to do some great things really makes, makes me, uh, yeah, that, that makes me smile at the end of the day. And recently, uh, so we, we talked a little bit about earlier about going back to a brick and mortar model after being e-commerce for so long, even though that is, you know, still the heart of our business by opening up this warehouse in Indiana and the outlet store, your story has in a way come full circle. Did you ever see yourself returning to Indiana? And what is, what has that been like? You were there recently. In fact, um, it was your first time getting to see the warehouse because COVID put that on hold for a little while, but we was recently a write up, um, where a journalist for the Sturgis Journal came out and interviewed you and Lindsay. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's a great question, and it certainly um, it certainly does feel for me like like coming full circle. Yeah, we were up in in Lagrangia recently, and yeah, as we're driving through those back roads, some of the same back roads that that I grew up driving on uh, in my teenage years, and that my seeing those familiar sights sort of brings it home. You know, I think it was probably in Indiana when we first started doing business in Indiana, probably around 2010, Lindsay and I were visiting a vendor and we were driving through some cornfields outside the city of Goshen, where I had lived um, both as a kid and then as a student at Goshen College years later. And uh, I got this sort of feeling of nostalgia that, you know, we're, this business has brought me back to the starting point. And... Uh, uh, it dawned on me that I had been, you know, looking for all of these, you know, I'd been dreaming of success as an entrepreneur and looking literally all over the world for opportunity, working on, on a graduate degree and, and really working hard at trying to make my, my way out there in the world somewhere, as we, as we say it. And the very thing that I had been looking for, the, the secret of our success really was right there in my own backyard this this whole time. So it was kind of sobering uh, for me to think in those terms. And I think it was a good lesson that often it's in looking back and looking within your own heritage and in the places where you start and within yourself, often that's where you find the real the real nuggets of opportunity. You know, diamonds buried in your own backyard. And it's not always out there somewhere. Uh, so sometimes you think the grass is greener on the other side. But my advice to, to folks who are getting looking to get started in business is don't neglect, you know, looking from within and looking at within your own heritage as a great starting point. Well, this has been 
a wonderful chat with CEO Jim Miller, CEO of JMX Brands, about his breakout company, DutchCrafters.com. Um, we'd like to thank you so much, uh, Jim, for joining us today. I know it's hard to put 17 years into this podcast, but um, we thank you for being here and for sharing uh, about your company. Thanks for sharing your amazing journey. Well, this has been a lot of fun for me, uh, just getting to chat with, with you all. And uh, you really uh, know how to ask some great questions. You kept me on my toes, and, and uh, I, I hope I've done some justice to our story. But it's been a lot of fun, and, and uh, I've enjoyed taking some walks down memory lane in this conversation. Well, thank you so much again, Jim, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. We've been talking a lot about uh, Dutch crafters today. Um, we hope that by listening to Jim share some of his experiences and history at Dutch crafters, it's uh, given you new insight into the world of Amish furniture, wherever you're shopping for it, uh, and that you found it helpful um, on your Amish furniture journey. Now it's the part of the show where we each share something new we learned or a favorite moment. So Beth, I'm going to let you start it out. Am I going first? I think you are. <laughs> okay. Well, you know that I always have trouble picking one thing. I've always been that way. You know, pick your favorite ice cream. I can't do it. Pick your favorite color. I can't do it. There's so many other <laughs> candidates. So, of course, I have two, two favorite moments uh, from this podcast with with Jim. Um well, one is just I'm always so tickled when I hear the portion of the story where um, and Jim tells it so well, where he he talks about the moment in his life where he couldn't have been more happy to be wrong, which was when Lindsay suggested selling indoor solid wood Amish made furniture <laughs> and he was hesitant to accept it. And then he did. And I just love that part of the story. I think it's a unique part of their story. I love hearing it every time. Um, the other thing was actually closer to the end of the podcast was was really my favorite moment. And that was the advice that Jim gave. Um, he said, don't neglect looking from within uh, for, you know, things that you aspire to do. He said, don't neglect looking from within when he was talking about, you know, his roots and where he started out and how that can contributed to what, um, what he did. You know, my mother always used to say when I was growing up as a kid, she, she would say, um, you have been blessed with gifts from God and you have to find what they are and you have to use them. And when Jim mentioned that, um, it just took me back for a second to, to my mother saying that. And so that was one of my favorite moments from this podcast. That is actually one of my favorite moments too. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I love how much his heritage has played into just the company in general and how important a role, you know, it has been. We actually offer uh, a yearly scholarship, the Dutch Crafters Amish Furniture Heritage Scholarship, because, you know, that, that heritage aspect is like so important to him and right. he wants to know how other people are planning to use their heritage to, you know, further their careers or like help their employer in the future. Um, so that's definitely, that was definitely one of my favorite moments from the show too. And yes, like listening to your significant other when they have an idea or <laughs> in the case of Lindsay, um, being persistent, I'm going to be persistent with my significant other 
from now on. Okay. <laughs> all right. Listen, we all take away uh, different lessons from podcasts, from, you know, books we read, from all kinds of things. So take that, take that with you, Miss Milka. Yes. And I guess too, just, I'm always really interested in entrepreneurial stories. We took a little break here and I was mentioning how one of my favorite you know, shows is how I built this with Guy Raz. And I love listening to those entrepreneur stories. And, you know, I think one of the things that I'm taking away from this is just, you know, there were so many things that the shipping aspect of it, like the furniture site unseen, like right. they're not even seeing it before it gets to the customer, like we mentioned during the show. So just being afraid to take a leap. And if you, you know, have that conviction of wanting to start your own business, like, you know, figure it out. And, you know, don't give up on it just because it seems impossible or because other things, you know, happen like COVID, which has affected so many people this year and so many businesses this year, but, you know, people are still pushing through. So it's a part of business, but, you know, we've, we've seen ups and downs from working from the company. You've been there since 2015. I've been there since 2016. And, you know, we've seen some of those ups and downs too, but, you know, we haven't seen, Jim, you know, he talked about his optimism and everything, and he's always very optimistic about, you know, the future of the company. So, right, right. And I, I remember interviewing Jim, um, not, not too long after I came on board for, with the team. Um, and I remember asking him, um, one of the things he's proud of, and it's interesting that his answer hasn't changed after all these years. It it comes back to the people that work for him, that the growth he's seen in them, the changes he's seen, um, and how they've developed. It's the same answer that was there, you know, five plus years ago. Um, that that he uh, he holds close. He likes to see he likes to see us all succeed. And yeah. I know I for one feel great working working in that environment. Same. <laughs> and we are hiring for some positions in Sarasota, so <laughs> that's right. Check us out. <laughs> All right, that's it for episode four. Why is you're selling Amish furniture online? And with the holidays coming up, we're going to take a little break um, just because it's hard around this time of year to get everyone's schedules kind of in sync. Um, so be sure to subscribe to be notified when we are back with more episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to follow or subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thank you to those of you that listened, subscribed, and or left a rating or review. We truly appreciate it. Also, don't forget that we want to hear from you. Are you currently shopping for Amish furniture and have some questions? It could be featured on or become the topic of a future episode. Or do you have a story about a trip to Amish country that you would like to share with us? It may get read on a future episode. So if you do, email us at podcast at dutchcrafters.com. That's it for our fourth episode of the Amish Furniture Podcast. Enjoy your Amish furniture shopping and thanks for joining us. Bye, everyone. Bye. Happy holidays. <laughs>